All right. Well, I want you to welcome to the stage your co-hosts of tonight's show, Francesca Fiorentini and comedian and labor organizer, Nato Green. Thank you so much for being here. Man, it's so exciting to have all 300 of you here tonight. Yeah. Oh my God, Don't San Francisco. Tell the fire department. It's like, <laughs> uh, this is uh, the third live episode of The Bituation Room. It is our 16th episode. Um, you guys have all downloaded and uh, reviewed The Bituation Room, I'm sure. Thank you. We can hear every single one of you. Uh, so we know. This is a legally binding contract. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the new year. How you guys feeling? It's a rainy ass Wednesday and you made it. Yeah. Hell yeah. NATO's wearing the same shirt that he wore last time. Nobody say anything. Uh, he told me I look like scotch tape. We're going with it. All right. Are you guys ready for our two other guests of the evening? Okay. She... She survived the Reagan years by becoming an organizer and after 30 years now works to build a new racial justice left through Left Roots, a national organization led by activists of color connecting grassroots struggles to a strategy to win a new socialism for the 21st century. Originally from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, she lives in the Bay Area and is raising a child in a sweet and nerdy black queer family. Everyone put your hands together for Antonia Lee. How you doing, Antonia? I'm doing great. Good. Good to see you. All right. Your next guest, all the way from New York City, she features for Hannibal Burris regularly and is open for other legends like Dave Chappelle, Russell Peters, Maria Bamford. She recently made her network TV debut on Late Night with Seth Meyers and most recently wrote for Broad City, No Big Deal. She currently is the warm-up comic for Hassan Minaj's show Patriot Act on Netflix and tours with the daily show Liz Winstead's Lady Parts Justice League. You guys... Put your hands together for Joyelle Nicole Johnson. Yay. Hey, Joyelle. Why'd you read all of that? I know, it's good. Um, how you doing? I'm great. Good. Let me just give our audience and you all a sense of what this podcast is. Um, it's basically like a uh, like a progressive and transgressive uh <laughs> an hour and change and uh, I always have people who for a living get paid to make people laugh and also bring about the revolution so I think those are two really underrated jobs and underpaid and are the most important jobs in this country anyone else? yeah Yeah. I think of it as like real time with Bill Maher for people who want to overthrow the government (laughs) or who just aren't Islamophobic one or the other. Well, so we start every episode of the Bituation Room off the same way, which is asking our guests, what are you bitching about today? Uh, and Tanya, what are, what are you bitching about? Well, you know, I had a whole plan to come and, and bitch about how Silicon Valley is taking over the brain of my 11-year-old child. But through the phone. That's a whole rant, I could say. But you know what? I realize actually what feels more relevant right now is that I'm turning 50 this year and um, I'm, I'm recently single and people keep telling me that Oakland is the place with the highest per capita lesbians in the country. Uh-huh. And, and um, I'm like, where are they? <laughs> yeah. oh. where, where, where are the over 40 black lesbians then? Um, because they're not really... At the farmer's market anymore? Yeah, no, no, no. Because that's no, usually no, where... No. no, there should be like an app or something where you can locate really quickly black queer lesbians in Oakland and there doesn't seem to be such a thing. And given that we're in Silicon Valley, I just want to say I want to make a request to Silicon Valley to make that shit more accessible. For me, so I can find a date. There's not like a gluten-free grinder that get, gets you the <laughs> exactly. lesbians over forty. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Black lesbians. Black over, lesbians black over forty. Lesbians no, over I think 40. that's important. Preferably with kids. Preferably you, not too to, bougie. I mean, I have some requirements. You'd have to identify like the one thing, like just there's there's going to be something that's unexpected that the algorithm will surface that like peop, that profile likes. Like, oh, who knew? You know, those people are just they're like really into muesli or whatever. Like there'll be some <laughs> thing that be like if you target your stuff to people who are into muesli, 
I have to say, I think maybe your 11 year old and the tech companies that are spying on him and you mm. will Could find make a you your f- future mate. I mean, yeah, let's it's be scary. real. Yeah, it's it's possible. It's possible. Uh, yeah, Dorsey's gonna sort it out for you very soon. It'll I mean, happen. I just want there to be an algorithm that is, you know, is pro socialist for love, pro queer uh-huh. and uh-huh. pro black, and you know, help find me some love. That's all. <laughs> Do you want Hell representation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the socialist dating app? You, so it's just called the DSA. Like, all right, let's just join no. the DSA. <laughs> <laughs> Are there DSA members there, here? All right. For, Should we go over some ground for, rules? For the, for the podcast audience listening along at home, that was an emphatic no to join the DSA. <laughs> it was a resounding no. All right. Joyelle, what are you bitching about? Oh, what am I not bitching about? Now you done added something to my list. I thought being a lesbian was easier. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, it's hard no matter what. Um, I was bitching about airline travel. This old woman on the plane wanted to talk to me. Don't talk to people on the plane, all right? Cut that shit out. Um, I, I really wanted to bitch about, I just did uh, a photo shoot recently, and they had a dude on set who did the hair and the makeup. And when I was the only black person that showed up, oh, I showed up in my do-rag with my, literally, <laughs> I woke up like this hair, and he's like, you look great. Like, it's great. Everything, everything is great. And he, he and that made me really fucking mad. I mean, I was literally like crying while the chick was doing my makeup. I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna look like buckwheat. Like, I was so upset. <laughs> and it, made, it like made me so fucking miserable for the shoot, and it like brought down the fucking mm. vibe of the shoot. So wait, so, so how did you look? I, you weren't happy. I mean, a couple of gays clapped when I was finished. I was like, all right, it must be good. Um, I was, yeah, I was like, they were happy about it. They were like, yes, girl, yes. I was like, all right, cool, cool, cool. I must look good. Um, but I was I was nervous about it because it was just Sorry. like, what What are you paid to do? Why are you here? And right. he was like, oh, great. You're amazing. What? Yeah, um, so shout out to Francesca Ramsey also. Uh, yes, kind of, I love her. Yeah, yeah, like an internet celeb. And she basically started doing her own makeup tutorials because there was no one ever no makeup artist or hair artist who like knew how to deal with black women's hair or makeup so yeah we never trust it yeah we never trust it so, so you know stressful. just find yourself an extra thousand per shoot or whatever yeah get a team get a right. team together that's easy nato you gonna volunteer man my hair and makeup everybody <laughs> so challenging uh what are you bitching about nato here's what i'm bitching about um the uh there's been this i've been trying to like ignore it and then there's the uh the third annual women's march is coming up on saturday and there's been this i'm real excited about it uh i like loved the first women's march i was living in cuba i don't know if i've mentioned on the podcast before that i lived in cuba at one point i don't know if that's (laughs) come up previously um Uh. uh but um can uh, we all just so, say we know NATO yeah. on the count so, of three? One, two, three. We know NATO. So, Thank you. <laughs> uh, that was so. I missed the second one, and I'm really excited to be back for the third one. And now there's like these allegations about like anti-Semitism and the leadership of the National Women's March, and I just want to say fuck that uh, because like I, I just for the last time we say this again and again and again. Anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. Then, like the the some of the criticism is that Linda Sarsour, who's Palestinian and supports Palestinian self-determination, that is not is not into Zionism, and people are saying that that is anti-Semitism. And so, let me just give you an example. Uh, I don't agree with the policies of the Israeli state. That's not anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is. I don't agree with the policies of those dirty Jew kikes in the Israeli state. That is anti-Semitism. If someone says that, call them on it. Stop it. That's a flat. But just disagreeing with decision by government is not a form of bigotry. Like, I disagree with, you know, I get mad at Bart every day. Like, that's not bigotry. You're allowed to not like... Jews run Bart? Yeah. You're allowed to... Do the white supremacists in the Bay Area talk about how the Jews run Bart? They got Uh, it. They got it. Bart and the media and the banks. So, but obviously, allowed- that's not the only critique, right? It's not about uh, Zionism. Right. It's the connections to Louis. Louis is it Louis Farrakhan? Louis- yeah. uh, Minister Farrakhan. Louis. Louis. Louis, uh, Louis C.K. Farrakhan. And so, look, and. And someone, I don't know, I Which heard are not real. I mean, I, let me just say, they're not actual connections. It's just that Tamika Mallory, like, has had a relationship with him from her, from 
like a, I think a family member being killed and Farrakhan was there and the Nation of Islam was there and supported her through that mm-hmm. and she is now being called on to condemn him as if he's a co-sponsor of the Women's, Women's March, March, which he is not. And, and she has and again, said that she does not agree with him. So anyway, just some context. And so people like, this is Tamika Mallory's anti-Semitism. And again, I just feel like, fuck that. People like, oh, Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan is like, like that's some 90s shit. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we're going to be mad about Louis <laughs> Farrakhan again. Million Man March was so long shit. ago. We're going to put, on, that, gonna put on the Fuji's album. We're going to watch the Phantom Menace and be disappointed. We're going to be mad about Louis Farrakhan again. Like, that's so tired. Can we like, talk about Jar Jar? Louis Farrakhan is an old man who's anti- Can we resuscitate Jar Jar I know. Yet? Louis Farrakhan is an old man who is an anti-Semite. Yeah, all old men are anti-Semites. Hello? Including old Jews. Especially old Jews. Everybody over 70 is an anti-Semite. Semi. Like, that's just so, like, yeah. why that would be a condition of, like, oh, we shouldn't participate in the Women's March because there are going to be some anti Semites there. I, you know, when I was at the Women's March in San Francisco, there were people that I knew were, like, had evicted people there, and no one was trying to denounce them. I wanted to, uh, but they were, you know, like, uh, the you mayor were cool that and day. stuff. Um, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> That's just like when people uh, get upset about Margaret Sanger who founded Planned Parenthood and they're like, she was a racist. And I'm like, she's a white woman born in 1890. Like, <laughs> that came with the DNA back then. Be more surprised if she wasn't a racist. Stop it. Yeah. Um, good bitch. Are you going to go out to the Women's March? Yes. Are yes. folks here going to go out to the Women's March? Yeah. All right. Me too. What do you got? What do I got? Okay. I don't I always start off things with I don't know how to feel but I'm feeling very put upon to decide whether I love the executive branch i.e. Donald Trump or I love the FBI and I don't want to choose either of those things but neither of you yeah and just the way that for example you know we found out that the FBI opened an investigation into our president uh, for potentially being a spy and or an agent of the Russian government which yes of course (laughs) yeah Probably, but then now sort of the knights in shining armor are the FBI, and I feel like the way the media is treating it is like, well, now the FBI is sort of uh, let's go to like they're they're the heroes of this story, and I want to be able to delink my outrage from my support of the FBI. You know, like I want to be able to say that like no to both of y'all, fuck the like national security state that goes unchecked, but also fuck you for doing like everything Putin wants. Like, all Putin's wish list is being checked off slowly, but surely. And so my question is, I don't know whether to take the streets over, like, protecting Mueller or, like, because just Papadopoulos doesn't fit on one sign. You know, you'd have to get, like, a few. And then then you'd have to draw out the whole, like, beautiful minds, you know, like, Russia web connections. And it doesn't, it just doesn't look good. And, like, no one's going to take the streets to support the FBI either. So I'm bitching about, well, you know, what's a lefty to do in the times of, like, uh, when there are no adults and or the adults in the room are not, you know, are being exposed for who they are. Can, can we still find outrage, you know, or do we have to just, like, everyone's wrong, I'm staying home, you know? Look, I'm just relieved that someone's running the government, and as long as it's Putin, I guess that's you know what he can do. Like beggars can't be choosers here. I was I, so true. I wasn't We're happy with still. the Americans running America, so I'm open to other options. I was hoping for Bolivia, but if I have to take Russia, I guess. Avo, if you're listening, yeah, exactly. Please, yeah. invitations Pull open. Some strings. S- send some Facebook ads this way. <laughs> Uh, well, let's move on. <laughs> I was like, that bitch was real cosmic and universal. <laughs> Our shit was personal as fuck. We was like, fuck that bitch on the airplane. You were like, but the... <laughs> <laughs> but Papadopoulos. You well, let's girl. move on to the situation. Great. NATO? Yes. Take, so, it, take it away. So I've been very excited. Uh, the the uh, Los Angeles teachers are on strike. Um, yes! I think it's great. So to, to summarize... Uh, there's been this wave of teacher strikes uh, starting in red states, West Virginia, Arizona, Oklahoma, teacher strikes. Uh, Chicago had the first successful teacher strike against a charter school system. Yep. And now L.A. teachers are on strike, uh, not just for, for better pay, but also for like reduced class size and mm-hmm. to stop privatization. And uh, 
And one of the things that's amazing is that a lot of the teacher strikes around the country have been organized through Facebook. Um, and so I guess my question for the panel is, do you see the teacher strikes primarily as like just the best advertisement for Facebook? Or is there something else happening? In time. The teacher strikes are fucking amazing. Um, I have a bunch of friends um, and comrades who have been involved in some of the teacher strikes around the country in L.A. right now. Um, I just left a national meeting where there was someone who couldn't be at the national meeting but because he's part of the whole strike um, process. And what is really exciting and hopeful for the worker struggles in this country about it is that, well, one, you know, teachers are majority women, right? And um, that there's this whole wave of women workers connecting race, class, and gender in their worker struggles and not and kind of doing something different than the labor movement's been doing for a while. Um, and one of the things they're doing that's different is they're not just organizing and striking for wages and contracts. They're actually talking about the bigger issues that are going on in society, and they're talking about corporate control of education, and they're talking about you know, the need for communities of color to actually have a say in the decisions that define public education. And um, it's, it's a new wave of, um, of a politics for, for worker struggles in general that um, women workers as teachers are really leading, which is really exciting to me. And I don't, and there's a militancy to it that's sort of an independent worker militancy, sort of like that was in the Depression, that was independent of like what union leadership wants people to do. And um, I am hoping it calls the labor movement leaders um, to rise to a new level of militancy and feminist politics. Mm, that's... Yeah. Well that, said. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's what's so striking is that a lot of the a lot of the actual strikes, like for example in Western Virginia, came out of came out of Facebook, came out of mm -hmm. well, just a teacher set up a like uh, you know West Virginia West Virginia public school teachers twenty thousand memberships in a week, yeah. and then they were like we're going to go on strike, but neither of the two unions who sort of spent their time going at one another called the strike, so there are these like you know, so-called wildcat strikes that have been in West Virginia, which right. then usually right. you would imagine that the leadership for this would, might come from like Los a blue Angeles. state, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think Los Angeles teachers have been looking at West Virginia or Oklahoma or Kentucky and being like, well, what they, they're doing it over there, you know, and that's a red state. I can yeah. see the people in those red states being a little more fed up though because I've just traveled through West Virginia and Kentucky and it's just like, What damn. is that like? like? Yeah, it's just like, oh damn, let me there. get the hell up out of here after I do this mm -hmm. show. Like that's, <laughs> Immediately, so I'm sure they're way more fed up. And then in LA, they're a little more cushioned. I was a substitute teacher in South Central Los Angeles for two years. And? Um, yeah, I made it out. I survived. Did you uh, crush? I, I, I got fired, actually. <laughs> yeah. I got fired for being second did you, strength. Did you get laid? Um, yeah, shut up. <laughs> I wish. No, it was, it was, they don't pay these teachers enough. They don't have books for mm. these kids. They don't have, mm. they don't have the infrastructure to even be able to get the kids to class. So the teachers can't teach. So if they're underpaid, they're not even going to be able to teach. So it's like they're glorified babysitters in a sense. Mm. And the kids aren't going to be able to learn. So you need to take their cares and considerations into focus. These motherfuckers have to buy their own pencils exactly. and, and yeah. supplies you know and they're underpaid so y'all gotta get that together so I'm glad they're striking because the kids wasn't learning anyway so <laughs> who's a harder well audience strike. like uh, 6th and 7th graders in a classroom oh, I was or like middle a bunch school, of middle, middle schoolers are the devil um, <laughs> hey, shout out to anybody who's a parent I don't know how you are a parent to a middle school because I, I, I love kids but around that middle school age give those mugs away I don't understand <laughs> I don't understand the devil comes out in 6th grade I don't I those mean, hormones ain't no hoe. Oh my God. That, so this is how I got fired. Um, like they put this, yes, this is how I got fired. I, I was in my early 20s, right? I got you a bad them hoes? Yes, I well, I was, hey, they was cussing at me, so I cussed back. Um, so they put me in a classroom with these 15 uh, boys who, it was called the Be Up program, but basically it was the program for the boys that couldn't, uh, assimilate to the rest of the culture because they acted up too much so they put all of them in one class and they put Joyelle with her bachelor's in communications as the leader of this mess and so every single day there were two kids who would give me huge problems one kid he'd be like you know, can, I, can we curse on here? I'm sorry, I already cursed. He'd be like, fuck you, bitch, but then he'd leave, so we were cool. I'd be like, cool, see you later, motherfucker. <laughs> and 
We was cool because he would leave, and then the second dude. I'll never forget. I'm sorry. Bleep that out. Um, he lives at 333. I hang on Facebook. He would stay there and taunt me. And every day he would be like, I'm going to get my auntie to whoop your ass. I'm like, I'm not fighting your fat ass auntie. Um, and and he this one day he came and he wanted to mess with me that day. He walked to my desk, grabbed my purse off of the um the desk no. and walked to the door like taunting me like he was going to take my bag and I just saw Red and Fuchsia and <laughs> I went and we struggled grabbed it out and I tossed him out the classroom and all the kids was like yo Miss Johnson don't play I'm like sit your asses down <laughs> and open your books but yeah that's how I got fired <laughs> turns out you should make sure there aren't any witnesses um <laughs> That's what we call red for Ed right yeah. there. Yeah. Just when you turn yeah. red, you want to kick yeah. a kid's ass. Oh, so shout Ed. out to all the parents. So the strike started in red states and then are moving. Like, like mm-hmm. there was a strike in Colorado, mm-hmm. L.A., Oakland seems to be next, uh, Chicago. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to watch like a lot of liberals be like, yeah, get those red states, get those Republican governors mm-hmm. and Republican state legislatures. Oh, they're here now? You know what I mean? Like, they're shit. like, oh shit. Oh shit. So it's like, it's interesting yeah. to see the confrontation with like, like elite Democrats. That's right. Uh, and, uh, and I sort of, I'm very- Who maybe cute. are pro-charter school? Yeah, like, you know- the, Or who've been, because like, apparently like uh, last year, I think $54 million was spent on uh, candidates in California from sorry from the charter school lobby right uh but like on losing candidates so they're not even they're not even winning winning oh and so here's a fun fact so i at one point i looked into like what like what the charter school people were trying to accomplish through their campaign contributions and there's stuff that we talk about about privatization uh and lack of oversight uh just in general but it turns out that there do you know about the gulan there's like the biggest charters, for-profit charter school chain in the country. One of them is run by a reclusive Turkish cleric in the Poconos who uh, who Erdogan is trying to get extradited back, back to Turkey. And he's like using these like Turkish affiliated charter schools as like money laundering oh. uh, to like r- filter money. Of to, course. Of course. And there's no oversight. So China um, landed on the dark side of the moon. Right. What They're are you going to do? They're fucking planting shit up there. The government shut down Turkish clerics are infiltrating our children's minds this is what's happening so the but we're gonna find someone for Antonia at the end of all this right. I think that's <laughs> by the too, time the government shuts down uh, if, if you um, uh, if anyone who's listening wants to date Antonia uh, free tickets to the next show um, <laughs> so, uh, so the um was my point? Oh, so, but why do you think, like, why does corporate America hate public education so much? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, what is there? Is mm. it just that there's a lot of, like, working class people of color in those schools? You'd think that they would want a good education system uh, so because they can train people to figure Supple out new workforce. So that they can yeah, figure out right. new ways Mindless to, to someone's got to invent new ways to gentrify communities. <laughs> Right. They got to learn that somewhere. Right. You know I mean, there isn't, there isn't like a united front amongst, you know, the corporate people who run this country about this issue. There's a split. But amongst the people who, who have been working for decades to like privatize education, they're upset that there is this important social good that we provide for free in this country. And they're upset that this social good that is being provided for free is not being monetized, is not being commodified, is not being, is part of the the logic of capitalism and for profit. And so the, you know, part of the whole neoliberal project, right, is to figure out how can we get, make every possible thing be for profit. Um, And this is one of the great bastions that still remains is to, is the public education system, but also it is deep in Los Angeles. It isn't that, you know, the, obviously the majority of the Los Angeles public schools, just as an example, are working class people of color, black and brown folks, right? Um, like, what do they give a shit about the education of working class black? They don't obviously actually care about the education despite all their school reform nonsense, right? right? They don't care. But they do see that Los Angeles and all these places are huge places where they can make a lot of, a lot of money. Um, on but sort private. of what, like yeah. tricking middle-class white people to go take their kids out of public schools and to charter schools. I mean, that's... What? Well, yeah, one. the business model. They're applying the business yeah. model. I mean, Gap, you know, there's a reason why the Fishers are investing in the in the whole charter school movement in California sure. and in Los Angeles and apply their business model of, you know, we're going to 
pay as few wages, automate as much shit, and make the, put that model in the public school system and make it as capitalist as possible. Yeah, and I think if you uh, bounce it off of that, if you monetize it, you can control it. Mm-hmm. And if you can control it, you can say, oh, let's gloss over slavery and not put right. too much of that in the book and oh, let's sure. gloss over the Holocaust and like, let's yeah. control what we want these people Didn't to happen. know. Right. <laughs> come, never, to, come to the happened. Women's March. The Holocaust yeah. never happened. <laughs> yeah, and we, and we can control what we want them to know and then that way we can control what we want you to do in life. You know, hey, we want you guys to be our worker bees. Like you were uh-huh. saying before, right. and if people aren't educated in a free think, free thinking way, you can control them. Right. But the thing I do want to say, Nina, about the the part of what is so sickening about the ideological warfare that's been happening over the last few decades around the public schools is they're they're bank they're organizing around the reality that the schools have failed our kids. Right. So you can't defend public like so people who just like defend public education sound ridiculous to our community. Like my kid's 11 years old and public schools have not been working for him. And no. I'm like, right. And in general, they're not working I've, for black and brown kids. So well, yeah. the peep, so they've been bi- building and organizing around that crisis and not talking about how that crisis was created intentionally. Right. It's a vicious cycle right. for sure. I yeah. met some people from the uh, from the Chicago Teachers Union once, which yeah. is. Uh, this incredibly militant union. They had this great strike in 2012 against Rahm Emanuel, led by a black Jewish math teacher. Uh, It was like the the best uh, for me. It was like right in my... uh, It's like your hero, your personal hero. Relevant to my interests. scarf and everything. Uh, Yeah. Um, But uh, they, like, you know, one of the ways that they talked about it is that the Chicago public schools were like broke on purpose exactly that they that they created policies to funnel money away from the schools and like and so then you end up with these crazy conversations like i have kids in public school in san francisco and parents like if you're trying to get your kid into public schools like you see these middle class parents like going on school tours like fucking prosecutors like cross-examining the (laughs) teachers and like running charts about like how to optimize their chances of getting into the best school Mm -hmm. um you know, There's and probably all algorithms and apps for that shit right and, now. And, <laughs> but then if you're like, hey, I got a crazy idea. What if there were just like good schools, good, good schools for kids? And people are like, no, that can't. That sounds like communism. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't just have good schools for kids. What are you talking about? Um, my question is about like the union strategy here, um, knowing that basically that this is not just about a wage increase. This is not just about classroom size. It's like a lot bigger than that. So what is the demand like where where do you go from here what's a win at this point how long is this gonna go on for nato you've been a union negotiator 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 we we can't talk about that because kevin spacey i don't know if you guys heard he's kind of a piece of shit but anyway um he he was in the movie the negotiator with samuel l jackson and i did have the poster on my wall because i did have a four-year infatuation i I watched that movie for jt walsh anyway um (laughs) there you go uh so the uh, you know the so one of the interesting things about the LA teacher strike is that the the LA public school system the student body is like seventy five percent Latino and n- like gener- normally in big urban school districts it's un- uncommon to see more than twenty percent Latino teachers and in LA it's like forty five percent. And so what it means is that the teachers are like more they they're from LA, they see themselves in their students. There's a, this interesting article that was talking uh, in the Atlantic that talked about them as the prop 187 generation, people who got politicized in the 90s during the attacks on immigrants and then became teachers to give back to their community. And so they're like I'm on strike so that my kids don't my students don't have to go through what I went through. And that's like that I mean for unions this is like something that's rippling across the country where you know people are like that unions don't have the, it's not clear that we ever did, but that you you know that it's not even an option now, given the political climate for unions to just worry about our own members. That like that the more that unions are aligned with their communities, that like that's not an extra thing. That's actually how we win. And so the teacher strikes have defined these demands around smaller class sizes mm-hmm. and more support and wraparound services. School nurses, school which I didn't nurses. know the word schools without right. nurses. The right. fuck. Right. right, and then you t- you know, and you've greater talked community to- participation. That was a big thing. Yeah, yeah where like do you get your consult, Sesame you know? Street bandages? You know, shit. I mean, it's oh, so yeah. like at, at my kid, my kids' elementary school in San Francisco, uh, with help from the city and my own neighborhood supervisor, like we are, we my kids' school has twenty five homeless families, and 
uh, and it was affecting the whole school. And so the, the, our school came together and we now are using like the, the school gym basically as a homeless shelter mm -hmm. and are getting outside services to meet the needs of those families. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So, and we're hoping to replicate that in other schools in the city. So what's yeah. your, how long is this gonna go on for? The strike? I, I mean, I would be surprised if it lasted another week. Like yeah. it's, I mean, it's the kind of thing where the, you know the public support is massive for the strike, mm -hmm. and and it's spreading. And so and you know the like nobody the the I I don't see the LA school district wanting to you know call me talk talk to me next month and we'll see how wrong I am. But I don't see them wanting to. They're going to want to contain this situation. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Or it's going to start spilling over in other things. All right. And those yeah. people in LA will get uppity. We don't want that. All right, you guys, let's move on to our next segment. It's called Targeted Character Assassination. We take one person who's been in the news and the media, the news media, and uh, we just drag them live uh, here. We fillet them and their personality in front of you all. And this not person... Not fillet. No, not fillet. Uh, this person, I, I hate to say, is... Um, we don't have to fully fillet, but is uh, Mr... Mr. Bernie Sanders, Senator Sanders of Vermont. We are going to talk about Bernie Sanders and the black vote specifically because this show has a theme. If you haven't noticed, it's hashtag black girl magic. And Look, I think I've got this, everybody. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know. <laughs> um, so there have been a lot of calls for Bernie Sanders to run for president once again. Hashtag run Bernie run. Um, but some, of course, are a little bit wary as to whether he's the right fit for this nation at this time. Um, but he is addressing some of his shortcomings that he had in 2016, namely uh, the black vote and his turnout in the South, um, which he was really, really bad. Although he did win the black millennial vote in the primaries. Just wanna remind everybody. Um, this, but this year and last year he campaigned for Stacey Abrams, for Andrew Gillum. Uh, he's been working with Reverend Barber uh, on the Poor People's Campaign. He attended the 50th commemoration of MLK's death and gave a speech that it was like maybe a little problematic in certain areas. He kind of, he just sort of like chalked up Barack Obama's presidency to like, he's a very charismatic man, you know, and he'll never serve cold soup or whatever it was. It was like very Bernie and didn't offer enough of like, you know, reverence. And in 2020, a lot of people are saying that... There's nothing that an old Jew fears more than cold soup. Exactly. <laughs> number one. And number two, the Women's March. <laughs> but um, so... So basically, 2020, <laughs> Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage nationwide. Uh, these are issues that uh, free college tuition Bernie put on the map. And he's not necessarily going to be the only one running on those, on those issues. So my question to the panel is, um, especially when it comes to the black vote, how do you see Bernie Sanders stacking up against someone like Kamala Harris or Cory Booker? <laughs> <laughs> just that small little and like what are your thoughts like just generally I mean that's a very specific question but what are your general thoughts on Bernie 2020 um, Bernie have a seat that's my thought on <laughs> Bernie 2020 uh, I have a personal experience with Bernie what, what I will share um, so when back when he was running for president I ended up I was hanging out with uh, Liz Winstead she's the co-founder of the Daily Show and she started an organization called Lady Parts Justice. And she was like, we're going to this political rally. And I was like, cool, political rally. Great, great, great. We end up at the L.A. Coliseum. And we're walked into this private room. And Bernie's having a meeting with social media influencers, uh -huh. right? I was like, what the fuck? And they seat me right next to him. So I was like, what the hell is happening? My mind's crazy. So he's having this meeting. And they're talking about ways to strategize so he can win the election. And he ha asked a question about what, he sh what should he do about the blacks? He says this out to a room full of white people. I'm the only black person in this room. There's about 30 other people there. Um, and he says, what should we do about the blacks? I'm the only black sitting next to him. <laughs> There's a white guy across, and he's like, well, this is my opinion about the blacks. They were going oh, back and forth. And, they, and every time they said black, it was like pins in my in my spine. And I could I should have said something, but I was too awestruck of the moment because I was like what the hell is happening because there were about 15,000 people waiting to hear him speak in the Coliseum right then so I just didn't know what to do but I was like part of your problem is Simone Sanders was in the room she right. was opening for you mm -hmm. why wasn't she in this meeting yeah. mm -hmm. if you want to know what to do about the blacks you're going to put a black girl to, to open for you mm -hmm. but she can't be in here when you're making the decision right mm -hmm. and you don't even I'm sure maybe the people are like maybe he didn't want to put you on the spot but if you're this political, savvy, charming dude, why don't you say, hey, charming? I know you're here like 
Do you have an opinion? I don't know. It was just weird. And I but can't he didn't put, turn to look straight at you. He didn't look at me at all, which, which I could chop it up to maybe he didn't want me to feel uncomfortable. But the fact that there were no other black people in the room. Right. You felt the eyeball. Yeah, anyway. it just felt like the eyeball out of the room. And it, just, it was just an uncomfortable situation. And I've just heard that he's had his issues. Like when he walked off the stage uh, when the Black Lives Matter BLM, people wanted yeah. to talk to him because they felt like he was one of the only people that would listen. Right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, he just has problematic issues with black people. And that's what a lot of white liberals, they don't know how to. Uh, uh, yeah. Number one, don't their white refer to a community as objects. I mean, the black the That's kind of basic. That's kind of basic. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's kind of 101. So that's my that's personal beef yeah, with That's kind of 101. I mean, this is the thing, though, is that in this country, Race is at the core of everything. Every single thing. So if you're going to be someone who's going to take advantage of kind of the opportunity of like economic populism, left populism, talk about economic inequality, you got to have an organizing strategy around racial justice. And you got to figure it. And I don't really give a shit about his personal how it, I mean white people are you know it's like people go have you know, people at the but, table um, you know have people at the table of course of course it's to me I'm interested in the questions of organization and organizing and I'm interested in the question of what does it really take to have a national political candidate and campaign that can talk about economic inequality and the fight for economic democracy with race at the center. And that can talk about it in a way that makes it clear that a racial justice economic democracy is going to be good for every fucking body, right? It's going to be good for everybody. And so, and the history of this country is that white people can't carry that message that well. And so that's just the history of the country, and it's and, but it's not impossible, but it's difficult. Bernie doesn't have a great track record from an organizing standpoint, so that's a problem. Um, so from, but it's all a question of organization. If people decide it's important not to have black neoliberals represent the black community, which I think is important because black neoliberal, black corporate Democrats have been selling out black people for the last 30 years, and I'm tired of that shit. And if, so we gotta figure out, do we rather figure out how to organize and figure out that we lead, right? Some folks need to just decide, screw Bernie's own personal whatever, do we figure out how to provide a national racial justice left message that can actually organize people and win and contend for the politics of the country or not. Mm-hmm. And to, so for me, that's the question, is what can be organized despite, with, or without Bernie? Um, I'm not a personal fan, but um, I also am excited that there is, the thing that Bernie did have millions of people vote for socialism is an advance in this country. Um, but you know, I'm in Left Roots, we're an organization of people of color, community organizers who are socialists, and it's really important to us that we that we figure out an organizing strategy all over the country. You got people in like 40 cities where people understand that there's a socialism, there's a way of talking about a new socialism in this country that takes racial justice seriously, that understands white supremacy is at the core of capitalism. We're not gonna win things for black people, for Latino people, Asian people, Chicano people, indigenous people inside this system, right? Mm. And so inside this capitalist system. So, and people, but right now people kind of associate the socialist thing with like a white thing. So we need to fix that. Um, Because, but not just because of like a racial identity issue, but because the set of politics is actually like not a winning situation yeah i mean yeah. that that woo, that was great first of all i would just say that reading a lot about this and seeing the way that um even um delegates like african-american bernie delegates 2016 delegates are talking about bernie's core message being about economic inequality and maybe that's not enough but not n- the, like the media and they seem to frame it as like not understanding and not knowing um, or centering the fact that the majority of peop- of working people are people of color. That mm-hmm. the majority mm-hmm. of people who do need a raise, who do need Medicare for all, who do need mm-hmm. um, college free tuition are people of color. So mm-hmm. like, I feel like there's still this, and I think the media plays into it of just like, if we're talking about economic inequality, somehow we're talking about the white working class, this right. elusive white working class that still wasn't, 
the folks who voted for Trump. We right. all know that. It's right. the, they were the middle to upper class, the class, that's class right. uh, white right. folks who did vote for Trump. Right. 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 And I think that is an advance to, be, to point out that, yes, it's, the working class is not. But there's a thing that I'm really frustrated with in American politics, which is unique here, which is the inability of folks to imagine that you could talk about racial justice and mean I'm speaking about the interests of everybody. Right. Right. And so there's just we got to fix that. We got to fix that where you could be like, oh, I'm actually talking about racial justice for the whole working class. And I mean, white for white folks, too. Right. But if you don't name them, they don't think they exist. Right. They're just like, uh, yeah, Yeah. they're like Beetlejuice or something. You just say (laughs) three times and they're like, oh, me? Who? Can, um, we, can we agree to call them the whites? The whites. <laughs> the whites. As long as we can call that's them the whites. You know, racial justice is good for the whites. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the whole thing. Y'all just don't but, know it. But, but ironically, that's considered there. racist, right? Like, if you just name that someone is white, like, that's automatically a trigger. The other thing I will say, Sam- Simone Sanders, former press secretary for Bernie Sanders, said mm-hmm. that there is a narrative that is put out that black Democrats are more socially conservative and quote-unquote pragmatic and therefore don't like Bernie Sanders. Um, Do you think there's truth to that narrative or is it just a narrative as Simone Sanders is saying? I mean, what are your thoughts? They're like, maybe... She's asking you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't even... Professor. I I mean, I don't know. Black people, black voters are the core progressive base of this country. Yes. Historically speaking, <laughs> that's just facts, yeah. right? So really, it it, it that it's frame. She's not framing it right. Mm. It's not. It's not a question of like. Um, I mean, really, it's like there's a long historically standing black progressive voting base in this country, and then it's up to you to organize it well. My mom lives in public housing in. You know, in Michigan, in this last election, the Democrats didn't fucking knock on her door and she's voted every year for like the last 50 years. And she's like, what's wrong with their operation that I, as a poor what black you say, in Michigan? woman in Michigan, oh, yeah, no, no, no. right? Clinton um, fucked yeah. up in Michigan. There yeah. was nobody in didn't, Michigan. Didn't get any call, didn't, right? And she's like, so that's what I was saying about the question of organization. It's just like, right. if you... Well, it seems like yeah. we don't matter to any of them. That's the thing. And I know that's like, we traditionally vote Democrat after, you know, Nixon did his little switch thing. And it's like that, we we know we're not cared about, but we still vote within the interests of what's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just a weird dichotomy, I think. Well, that's because we gotta run, we, we, we gotta, we, we gotta have a long-term plan where we are thinking about ourselves as the people who run this country. And until we think about ourselves as the yeah. people who run our country, it's always gonna be like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I know I can run this country. I know people who are like me can run this country. We you can are ha- at least as qualified as Donald Trump. I mean, <laughs> I feel pretty confident. You know what I'm saying? I feel you'll you know yes. you're confident, and right. you'll keep the filet fish right. warm. Right. <laughs> at least, yeah. I mean, he let's make the impossible lamp. possible. You know, um, we can change the politics of this country, so it won't have to be satisfied with what the Democrats offer versus the Republicans. Right. We can, we we can, can make something else option. possible. We can make something else we possible, but we got to organize for make that change. So you're saying Sanders uh, yeah. Abrams 2020. Right. I mean, I, I, I have, so I have no. a question. The um, Abram Sanders, twenty twenty. Like mm. w- one of the things, like looking, looking for example I, at Stacey Abrams and, and, and and Gillum, the um, it's like about the about how movements need a the degree to which movements need a candidate to rally around. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like. There, there have been groups in Florida doing incredible organizing for years, decades, uh, and they didn't have a candidate That's that right. would carry that. That's right. And you don't want it to be about the person and the politician within the limits of this, like but, problematic but flawed is. system. It but it is. So it's like I, like I'm still struggling to figure out how to how to think about that, mm-hmm. like from a like strategic world changing perspective of how do you like what does it mean to have the strongest candidate and how do you cultivate the conditions to facilitate that mm. I will say though in terms of no, the organizing game that, <laughs> I, am, I am organizing okay. I, I am answering it I'm saying that I will say two things one Bernie Sanders has a ground game Clinton didn't have a ground game Sanders does and it's only gotten stronger since 2016 our revolution has expanded uh, people for Bernie has expanded it's a great so, fanny pack based ground game um, t- yes <laughs> listen it's, it's a strong fanny pack but, ser- but it is a game it's a ground game and it exists and it's, and it's grassroots so like 
not writing that off. I think whatever happens 2020, it's got to be from the ground up. It can't be from the top down. The other thing I'll say is, and, you know, from the stuff I've read about, like, Bernie reaching the black community, he's got to fucking loosen the fuck up. Like, he can't say things like the blacks. And also, he's got to, like, be a little bit more charismatic. Like, comb your hair. (laughs) Talk to us about your family. Like, be, like, he always says it's not about him, but it's like, you need to, because, for example, MLK 50th anniversary of his death, you know, Bernie Sanders did march for civil rights. He was arrested, but he didn't talk about that. Mm-hmm. And so his delegates were like, why the fuck didn't you talk didn't about that? that like, say, mm-hmm. like, tell us. And he's like, oh, it's not about me. And it's like, but it is. <laughs> like, you want to be president. Unfortunately, it's going to have to be about you. Right. You're going to need to sort of play that up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Chris Rock has a joke about how people say they're humble when they run for office. And it's like, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> it's like, who should run all this shit? Me. Yeah, Bernie, you're not humble. Cut it out. Yeah. Like, stop yeah. it. Right. fake humility right but that's what I'm saying the thing about the organ I mean I've knocked on probably like many of you knocked on thousands and thousands and thousands of doors over my, the last 30 years <laughs> for various issues and candidates and you know candidates have their limitations I'm less concerned about the contradictions of the particular candidates and more interested in how we organize so there are people who in Florida for example yes organize for Gillum but also are part of a long term strategy to take over that whole state and knock on thousands of doors to vote for a progressive agenda to take for that whole state they're building a whole infrastructure door by door block by block you know county by county that can make a difference in Florida whether or not Gillum is the, the candidate or not and so we have to be able to do both things at the same time mm, okay that's great let's move on to our final segment it's called sex elect overthrow it works like Mary fuck kill we have to <laughs> thank you one man um, we will decide who we want to send um, you know hot and heavy messages to um, who we want to uh, elect to an office and who we want to just throw down the memory hole forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Our three people this time around <laughs> for this edition are the uh, non-traditional superhero segment, uh, the Black Panther, or T'Challa, not by his king name, T'Challa, Wonder Woman, or Diana Prince, which is the weirdest fucking name, or My- Miles Morales, or the new Spider-Man from Into the Spider-Verse, if you guys have seen it. Hey. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, Miles Morales, uh, probably about 17 or 18. <clears throat> um, so which of the three, who would you sex, who would you elect, and who would you overthrow? Black Panther, Wonder Woman, Miles Morales. Joyelle? Okay, I'm, sexting, I'm sexting Wonder Woman, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, especially if it's Gal Gadot. And um, here's my problem. I don't want to listen to a teenager speak, so <laughs> I can't elect you to anything. But T'Challa was boring as hell, so... But I feel like he might have been a good leader, but I don't know. He was just, like, the least interesting character in that movie, so (laughs) I just... I feel like I'm electing and sexting Wonder Woman and throwing the rest of them into the world. (laughs) Men are done, 2019. Oh, my lord. Um, Very good. Nice. hmm. I'm still kind of figuring it out. Yeah, but I think... I think... I think, well, you know, I did youth organizing long enough to be clear that young people should run the country. So clearly Miles Morales should be elected. Um, Boricua and all that he is. (laughs) And um, I think... Chala should be overthrown and Nakia should really be in charge. True, 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 true. Here, here. Okay, and so then I think, I mean, she's not all that, but yeah, I would do Wonder Woman. This is sexy? Yeah. Okay. I like that. All right. Overthrowing T'Challa. Wow. What Killmonger could never do. (laughs) NATO? Uh, I'm going to say, you know, I have my reservations about Black Panther, partly because he was a CIA asset. Um, and I mean that was a detail, you know. And and he like his solution to all the world's problems was some kind of techno fetishism that didn't deal with the fundamental questions of distribution and control of production. Um, Sidebar. So obviously, oh like who, you know, techno uh, fetishism. That uh, that, but that was a whole system, and right, it, like right, it right. wasn't. So I would elect T'Challa because I think he would do better. He would flourish in a democratic system mm. rather than an uh, absolute monarchy. Mm. Um, so, and then I would say that I would, 
uh, sexed Miles Morales. Uh, be- listen, because, okay, Kevin Spacey. Uh, because, because um, I have read that like nowadays teenagers are like learning everything. Uh, about sex through porn, and then that's not healthy. And so I would just like sex him encouragement about communication, about consent. Like, you know what's really sexy, Miles Morales? Asking people what they're into. That's, nothing is hotter than that, Miles Morales. Why don't you try listening? Uh, that's very hot. Um, I think young people need to hear that. And then, and then I would overthrow Wonder Woman because uh, obviously. Gagadot was in the IDF, and mm-hmm. as I might have mentioned earlier, <laughs> I'm not with the Zionists. But so you're electing <laughs> T'Challa? Yeah, I'm electing okay, T'Challa. Okay, giving him a chance. All right, yep. I like that. Very, very good. Uh, I'm gonna say, hmm. Okay, I think you have to sex T'Challa. He needs to loosen the fuck up. Yeah, he was. He was way that too took himself that way too fact. seriously. Facts. But, I, cause, but also, like, he'll just come back at my eggplant emoji with, like, this reminds me of my father when he planted, like, a whole field. I'm like, shut up! I just want a bone! Um, but, I, but I'm going to get w- him there. I want some magic flower boning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm going to get him there through text. Um, Miles Morales, I can't text him or sext him because I'd probably be arrested because um, he's 17, and that's, um, you know, I'm no Arkells. So I'm going nice. to... Also, like... Miles is fighting the least interesting person out of all of them. He's fighting, like, a big, angry, like, bald man. Like, who is that dude? Kingpin. Who the fuck cares who Kingpin is? He's a real estate developer for Queens. It's on the nose. (laughs) Is he, like, Trump's cousin? This makes sense. But if he was Trump's cousin, I'd be more into it. But Kingpin is like, wait, you're mad because you killed Spider-Man. So you're mad at Spider-Man because he made you kill Spider-Man and then your family hated you? This makes no sense. This is dumb. So, Miles Morales, overthrow, Wonder Woman, not Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman, fought the fucking Nazis, and I'm going to elect her. She would punch a Nazi, and rather than having Nazis in the White House, I think we need someone who would punch them. So, we have to fight white supremacy from inside the White House. I'm electing Wonder Woman to president. Sounds good. And thank you so much. Yes. That has been the Bituation Room. Thank you for coming on this rainy-ass evening. Give it up, all 375 of you. Yeah. Give it up for Joy Yao, for Antonio, for Nato Green. We're here on the third Wednesday of the month. Third Wednesday of the month. Get home safe, y'all. Take care.